Hello, Kathy here again. About six months ago, I did a little podcast on climate complexity, and when I listened to it again, I wasn't 100% happy. I thought I could do a better job, so I've deleted it, and I'm trying again to improve it. So if you're interested in this topic, then I hope you will enjoy the next 18 minutes. So climate complexity. The Earth's climate is a very complex system, controlled and influenced by many factors. And because of this complexity, it is almost impossible to make long-term predictions. First of all, let's define what we mean by climate, as opposed to weather. The scientific use of climate means the average of weather patterns in a particular area over a 30-year period. Weather is merely what happens from day to day. Elements that influence climate on Earth are 1. The Milankovitch cycles 2. Plate tectonics 3. Atmospheric carbon dioxide concentration 4. Cosmic rays 5. Galactic dust clouds 6. The sunspot cycle 7. Ocean currents And of course, there are other factors as well, but these are the ones I'm going to talk about in this talk. These are probably the most important. So the first one is the Milankovitch cycles. These cycles, discovered and studied by the Yugoslavian astronomer and mathematician Milankovitch, focus on three different aspects of the Earth's movement around the Sun. The degree of tilt of the Earth on its axis, the eccentricity of the Earth in its orbit, and the precessional wobble of the Earth due to the slightly oblate shape of the planet. The first cycle concerns the Earth's tilt on its axis, which changes over a 41,000-year period or cycle from 21.5 degrees to 24.5 degrees. As you might know, our present tilt is 23.5 degrees. And of course, it's the tilt of the Earth on its axis that gives us our seasons. If we had no tilt, then we would have no seasons. So luckily, we are tilted a bit, and that makes life more interesting. When the tilt changes to around 24 to 24.5 degrees, the polar summers receive more sunlight than at present, and more ice melts, reducing the albedo or reflection of light and heat back into space. When this happens, the temperature of the Earth increases. The second cycle involves the eccentricity of the Earth's orbit around the Sun. It may be reasonably circular and centred around the Sun during part of the cycle, and then it becomes more elongated and less centred during another part. When this happens, the irregularity of the orbit causes exaggerated fluctuations in temperature, with winters and summers being more extreme. This cycle takes about 100,000 years. The third cycle is caused by a wobble of the Earth's axis called precession, so that the poles change direction relative to the orbital plane At present, if you live in the Northern Hemisphere, you will see Polaris, or the North Star, above your head at night time. However, 
this cycle lasts around 21,000 years and in future, the Northern Hemisphere nighttime sky will face Vega. Not only will the appearance of the nighttime sky change, but the distance of the Earth from the Sun around its elliptical orbit will change in such a way that the northern winter will be at aphelion, or greatest distance from the Sun, at one part of the cycle, and then its winter will be at perihelion, or closest distance to the Sun, at another part of the cycle. The combinations of these Milankovitch cycles can result in ice ages and periods of global warming. Interestingly, there have been times when the whole Earth, including at the equator, has been totally frozen over, despite the fact that the level of atmospheric carbon dioxide has been many times greater than it is today. These periods of global freezing are referred to as snowball Earth, and our planet has frozen over like this at least three times in its history. Now let's look at the plate tectonics. The outside shell or crust of the Earth is broken up into a jigsaw puzzle of different shapes called tectonic plates. Very slowly, these plates move round due to the convection currents circulating beneath in the molten magma of the mantle. At certain times in the long 4.5 billion year history of the Earth, the plates have come together as one giant supercontinent, and at other times they have been separated into several smaller continents as we see on the Earth today. One of the earliest known supercontinents was called Kinor, which existed about 2.7 billion years ago. Following this came Nuna, about 2 billion years ago, then Rodinia, about 1 year, billion years ago, and more recently Pangaea, at only 335 million years ago. So what does all this have to do with the Earth's climate? Well, when supercontinents form, huge pressure builds up underneath the land surface, and when the pressure becomes too great, volcanoes burst forth to release magma and gases from the mantle. Lava and carbon dioxide are spewed out in large quantities, and as the atmospheric CO2 rises, so does the Earth's temperature. It then takes another 800 years for the warmed atmosphere to warm the oceans, and when the ocean water warms up, it acts as a storehouse of warmth for future release when the atmosphere begins to cool. In fact, the current gentle warming of the planet is partly due to the warmer Earth that existed 800 years ago. As can be seen, volcanism and plate tectonic movement are important contributors to the Earth's climate. Now let's look at atmospheric carbon dioxide. big bad boogeyman of the climate alarmist industry. The greatest producers of this gas are termites and agricultural animals. Humans, of course, have also contributed to CO2 production in increasing amounts, especially since the beginning of the Industrial Revolution, which was about 200 years ago. And at present, atmospheric carbon dioxide levels stand at about 400 parts per million. Interestingly, the greatest recent rise in atmospheric carbon dioxide was during the first half of the 20th century, when the world's population and level of industrialization 
was far lower than it is now. If man-made production of carbon dioxide due to fossil fuel use is to blame for global warming, then what is the explanation for this anomaly? That theory just doesn't hold up. It doesn't make sense. Things aren't nearly as simple and clear-cut as people imagine. Climate is a very complex issue. During the history of the Earth, atmospheric carbon dioxide levels have sometimes been 10 times greater than they are now at 4,000 parts per million or even higher. There was no runaway greenhouse effect during those times, as the uh, pseudoscientists like to tell us and the political scaremongers. And the Earth's temperature was only a couple of degrees warmer than it is today. The dinosaurs lived at such a time with vast expanses of lush green forest to supply their needs. In fact, carbon dioxide is an atmospheric plant fertilizer and if its concentration falls below 200 parts per million, plants cannot sustain photosynthesis and die. Without plant life, animal life is generally not possible either. So at 400 parts per million, we are only a little above the critical level. Plants grow best at 1,000 parts per million carbon dioxide. So with the growing human population, it would be in our interest to raise the CO2 concentration to enable faster food production. Carbon dioxide is not to be feared. It is, in fact, one of the greatest life-giving gases on Earth. Let's have a look at cosmic rays now. Cosmic rays bombard our planet from every direction in space all the time. If a supernova explodes in a particular part of the sky, we eventually receive the high-energy cosmic rays produced by this catastrophic event. If a black hole gobbles up a few stars and emits violent radiation, we eventually receive that energy too. If two galaxies collide, which they do sometimes, we get the blast of energy that follows this event. Cosmic rays are high-energy charged particles or broken bits of atoms. When the Earth is bombarded by a burst of cosmic rays, it results in increased cloud cover because the cosmic particles form condensation nuclei onto which water vapour can condense. Increased cloud cover reduces the amount of sunlight falling onto the ground, and as a result of this, temperatures drop. So cosmic rays influence climate by reducing temperature. Another interesting factor is the galactic dust clouds. We live in the Milky Way galaxy, a beautiful large barred spiral collection of about 200 billion stars, all held together by gravity. Along with the stars and planets in the galaxy, there are clouds of gas and dust called nebulae, which are left over from the explosion of dead and dying stars. These nebulae provide the material for the creation of new stars and planets. While waiting to be recycled, these dust clouds float through the galaxy along with everything else in a gentle rotation around the galactic centre. Our own solar system, along with all the others, takes about 250 million years to rotate 
around the Milky Way galaxy once. On this long journey, we pass in and out of these dust clouds. And when we enter one of these nebulae, some of the sun's energy is blocked from reaching the planets. And for several million years, the Earth's climate is cooled, possibly bringing about an ice age. Once again, as you can see, the Earth's climate is influenced by so many different factors and those who are using the excuse of increased atmospheric carbon dioxide to shut down our industries and modern life itself are doing so for purely political and not scientific reasons. Now let's look at the sunspot cycle. The sun has a powerful magnetic field and every 11 years its north and south poles flip. When this happens, sunspots appear in large numbers on the surface of the sun and the sun becomes more active, throwing out more heat than during the less active times when there are fewer sunspots. During the past few centuries, the sunspot cycle has been studied in detail and we can see where the solar minima, or quiet times, and the solar maxima, or more active times, affected the Earth's temperature. During the quieter times, such as during the Maunda minimum of the 1600s and the Dalton minimum of the early 1800s, the temperature of the planet cooled considerably. At present we are experiencing the modern maximum and are living through a warmer time. But strong signs are showing that we are soon to enter a new minimum and can expect temperatures to cool again. Interestingly, it was during the Holocene optimum around 8,000 years ago, when the times were warmer, that human civilization arose, allowing people to grow crops, settle down beside the riverbanks, and build the first villages. On the negative side, it was during the Dark Ages, starting around 1,400 years ago, that the climate cooled, people starved, died of disease, and had territorial wars to gain control over land and food production. Warm weather is far better for plants, animals, and humans than cold weather, and we should value the warmer time that we are living in now, because it won't last. The last thing I wanted to talk about was ocean currents. There are various annual, decadal and century-long cycles of oceanic currents that affect the climate. There is the Atlantic multi-decadal oscillation which swings around every 65 to 85 years when currents in the Atlantic Ocean switch between North America on one side of the Atlantic and Northern Africa and Europe on the other side bringing either cooler, wetter conditions or hotter and drier ones. The same thing happens in the Pacific with its Pacific Decadal Oscillation, causing the currents to swing between Australia and South America and bringing either the heat, bushfires and droughts of El Nino or the wet, cooler weather of La Nina. Interestingly, when Captain Cook sailed up the east coast of Australia in 1770, he arrived during La Nina and saw a beautiful green land just like Wales in Britain. In his logbook, Cook wrote that this would be an ideal place for a new British settlement 
and so the first colony of Australia was named after the beautiful green countryside of Wales and was called New South Wales. Sadly, by the time the first fleet, led by Captain Philip, arrived in Sydney in 1788, El Nino was in full swing and the land was brown and dry and crisp and crackly. The people of the first and second fleets almost starved to death during this terrible beginning of British settlement. Finally, there are also the Indian Ocean currents, called the Indian Ocean Dipole, in which currents bring warm, dry weather to Africa and India, while delivering cooler, wetter weather to Indonesia and Western Australia. Then the cycle switches, bringing relief to Africa and India, while pushing Indonesia and Western Australia into drought. This oscillation happens on an annual cycle rather than a longer decadal one. So that's just a brief look at the complexities of, that influence climate on Earth. It's not just a simple view of carbon dioxide up, therefore temperature up, taken by the media and some shameful scientists who have abandoned their duty to unbiased, apolitical scientific analysis of the facts. There will come a time in the near future that people will look back on the global warming alarmists and realise that these climate emperors had no clothes. Thank you.